Hello and welcome to episode 358 of the Thinking Poker Podcast. I don't think I've ever been more excited to introduce a podcast to you. A lot of you have probably heard this news already. Uh, Carlos Welch, longtime friend of the show, our most prolific guest, my all-time favorite guest, uh, just won a WSOP bracelet in the uh, 888 online event, came along with about $125,000 in cash. Uh, amazingly, this is, uh, we just did an episode a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it was the 10-year anniversary of Carlos making his first trip to Las Vegas for the World Series of Poker back when he was just a poker fan taking uh, pictures of all the pros that he knew on TV. Uh, this is also actually, I'm recording this on July 9th, 2021. Uh, the I, I first met Carlos, or at least the first uh the first time we had Carlos on the show, which was maybe not quite the first. So today today could actually be the eight-year anniversary of, of the day that I met Carlos. Um, we released our first interview with Carlos on July 10th, 2013. So it has been almost eight years to the day since uh, we first got to introduce Carlos to the Thinking Poker community. And uh, he really has become absolutely central to it, right, to the point where uh, we're now doing the, the Patreon Thinking Poker Daily uh, with Carlos as, as a full partner in that. So, um, you know, he, he has, I, I mean, I just, I, I could hardly be more happy if I were the one who won the bracelet myself. I would probably be a little bit more happy, but only a little bit. Um, it's, it's so extraordinary to uh, see. And I mean, you know, on the one hand, like it's, and Carlos would be the first one to tell you this, right? There's there's sort of a, a ton of luck involved in, in winning a bracelet. And uh, on the one hand, it's kind of weird to point to winning a bracelet as some sort of um, marker of, of a person's like, you know, career or like finally making a name for themselves in the poker world or something like that, you know, says the guy who doesn't have a bracelet. <laughs> but nonetheless, like, it's still very exciting when it happens. And uh, you know, it just the the whole Carlos story just kind of feels like a, a fairy tale, and um, this is like, I mean, hopefully not the ending, but uh, the, this is certainly a fairy tale moment in the Carlos Welch story. Um, he just won this bracelet as as of you know my recording this. It's been less than twelve hours since he won the bracelet. Uh, we're trying to bring you this episode right away. Um, Carlos, I think, has still not slept. Uh, he had not slept as of the time of this recording. So, you know, our conversation is like slightly more disjointed than than usual. Uh, we don't have our usual editor uh, going over this episode. I'm just pushing this out as quickly as possible to uh, invite you all to share in the excitement that uh, Nate and I and Carlos are all feeling in this moment. Um, so thank, thank you, everyone, for you know, being a part of Carlos's journey over the last eight years. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you have enjoyed uh, hearing him over the course of the show. I would encourage you to go back and uh, and, and listen, you know, starting from our, our first interview when he's in Las Vegas, just kind of grinding single table satellites, not playing any uh, bracelet events. And, you know, he's, he's still living quite cheaply, as you'll hear uh, in, in 
are, uh, well, in, in this episode, among others. So, you know, if, if you are not already familiar with the, the full Carlos story, I encourage you to take this opportunity to uh, get familiar with it. Uh, also encourage you to take this opportunity to um, to subscribe to Thinking Poker Daily if you haven't done it already and uh, get these strategy insights from Carlos uh, and Nate and myself, but especially from Carlos. Uh, so you can do that at patreon.com slash thinkingpokerdaily. Uh, you can also get tournament advice from Carlos in the Nitcast store, which is www.nitcast.com, and uh, pick up the uh, Exploiting Small Stakes Tournaments video, which is um, mostly Carlos, a little bit of me in there talking about how to exploit small stakes tournaments. Uh, I think this was not a small stakes tournament. This was not Carlos exploiting small stakes tournaments. This was uh, you know, Carlos playing pretty high-level poker against tough competition in this WSOP event. But um, you know, if, if there were still anyone doubting uh, Carlos's ability in the poker world, um, well, you know, I think this is a very nice feather in his cap. So I encourage you to check out those things and uh, mostly just enjoy this uh, very raw <laughs> interview with Carlos just hours after he's uh, won a bracelet event and the biggest score of his career. Congratulations, Carlos. I'm going on tw- 24 hours right now. I imagine it'll be like 36 before I actually get to sleep. Wow. So, uh... Yeah, that's that's amazing. It's um, you know, I, I I knew you weren't the go to the rhino after winning the bracelet <laughs> type, but I'm I'm glad you're sort of getting the stay up late and do fun things and talk to friends and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's been the best part. That's been pretty awesome, man. People are coming out of woodworks. Yeah, and Twitter's just starting to wake up. I thought you're going to have uh, waves of tweets coming in the next few hours. You know what? See, that's this, this one of the reasons I stayed up because, you know, trying to catch the, the you know, people waking up on both coasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's it very here. exciting news to wake up to. It was literally the first thing. I, I, I checked my phone and I had a notification from you with the subject line, a little bit of gas money. Which, you know, from, from some poker friends would be like, uh, oh, shit, this guy's asking for money again. But I knew instantly it meant you had won something. I still didn't expect it was going to be a bracelet. But, uh, yeah, very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was expecting, like, you know, 5K and something you were proud of or something. You know, it's like, oh, I've been on a downswing a little bit. But, you know, I stuck with it. Uh, exercise, good, good game selection, you know, et cetera. But, no. It was much cooler than that. Yeah. Did not exercise good game selection in this one <laughs> at all. Really? <laughs> but sometimes it works out. Yeah, I could pick some softer games than um, bracelet events, for sure. Huh. It's interesting. I, I would think that they would attract um, a lot of casual players and a lot of good players playing their B games. Uh, the casual players on Ignition are way more casual. Nice. <laughs> um, and the good not players for a thousand dollars either, though. Or uh, yes, they are. Are yeah. they? Okay. Uh, they, there's there's definitely thousand dollars on Ignition, and they probably play like fifty dollar tournaments on WSOP. Fair wow. enough. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations on winning, though. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and, and uh, you busted Negranio along the way? Was that in the same tournament? I did. 
but but well, um, before I get into that, um, I'm not even going to ask you if this is recording because I know I know it's recording, and I know we didn't do like the intro thing, but I do. I know you like to use this stuff. Yeah, um, I use that for sure. But but I wanted to point out that your your mic sounds a little bit muffled. Oh, um, yeah. There's not a lot I'm going to be able to do about that, unfortunately. I'm in a subpar recording uh, situation right now. But I appreciate gotcha. that. that. <laughs> gotcha. So yeah, the I'm going to take credit for busting the grano, even though I did like one percent of the work. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else got him down to one bit blonde, big blonde, and I was on his immediate left when he was forced in by the small blonde. <laughs> and you had queens. <laughs> no, I had. A queen and he we both flopped a pair and my pair was bigger and um he didn't um suck out this time and um they um they poker news did an update and said the guy on my left busted him <laughs> <laughs> and i was like oh hell no i'm gonna get my credit for busting the grinder especially since i don't know if you guys saw the hand i put on twitter like the bracelet event, the bracelet event, like one or two before that one. Oh yeah, where you had the ace jack. Yeah, I got them all in on the turn, and he overbet jammed the turn on a on an ace eight board with king eight, and I called with ace jack, and then he hit a king on the river. Um, so I was like, man, I'm gonna get credit for busting this guy. Uh, if I have to take it the the, the uh, petty way, <laughs> where he's forced in by the big blind, I'll take it to make up for that last one. Yeah, I, I figured I would just as well not chime in since you seemed tilted on that previous hand. I didn't think his play was that bad. With the, I mean, I don't know that it was like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Asava is like fine with him playing it yeah, that, I mean, that way. A lot of people were like razzing him for it, but at, at the time it didn't seem necessary for me to, to jump in. But I feel like now you're, you probably have uh, are in a good enough spirit that I can, I can say that. I'll, I, I wasn't tilted, and I also wasn't sure if it was bad because I know I've been studying pretty heavily, heavily lately, with um, solvers or, or um, um, sources that have used solvers, I should say. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I've seen so much weird stuff that nothing surprises me anymore. So other people were just super convinced that his play was bad. Yeah, I, I think people are just eager to shit on him, which which I can fully uh, understand and respect. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I, I think in this case it was because it was like he right you open the button, he three bets king eight suited from the big blind. You no. call no. Oh yeah 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 no you're right you're right you're right. Yeah, the flop is ace queen eight. He bets you call. Turn was a blank. Uh, turn was a blank, but I think he flopped second pair. So ace eight x. I could be wrong. Um, there was, there was, then the turn was a queen. There, there was a queen out there yeah. for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I, I and then he, his jam was like, like I think it was like not even one point five x pot. So I mean, I like he's definitely gonna have like value hands he wants to go for there. And I feel like you know having the eight blocker, uh, you know, blocking some of your like easiest call downs, it, it can't be that bad to just ship it. Yeah, I mean, it, any... it definitely looked a little sloppy. Like it did look like maybe uh, as Nate said, uh, a good player playing his B game. That that's plausible. Yeah, yeah, yeah oh. you know, you were right. There was a queen on the flop. <laughs> it, while I'm tossing off Bon Mo here, can I, can I just say, Carlos, you did the, like, poker nostalgia trifecta or, like, the thing that takes me right back to 2006. You 
you won a bracelet, you busted Daniel Negreanu, and Poker News fucked up the hand history. That's like everything <laughs> I remember. <from> the <laughs> yeah, and I was like, guys, I write for you. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> Let me get a little bit of love. At the at the time, I was probably down about five k in buy-ins. I was like, look, I need to at least see my name and likes. You know, if I'm gonna keep, you know, paying these guys. Yeah. Um, like. I mean, like live hand histories. I mean, I, I'm giving them a hard time. I, I have a lot of respect for poker media, but that was just like part of the World Series. Like it's it's only because it was online did they get either of your whole cards right, I think. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I was definitely not tilted and I wasn't like I def I basically put it on Twitter because I was like, you know what, if y'all not going to put in the updates, I'll put it in my own updates. <laughs> I just wanted some credit for you know you know getting Negreanu in a bad spot when in reality there's a good chance that a solver agrees with his play and i'm actually the one that fucked up because <laughs> i was supposed to jam this pre yeah uh, i mean you know tournaments are about uh getting lucky and you're allowed to get lucky in a tournament as you know well That's... yeah especially against Negreanu. come yeah. on um, so what was your, I mean, you, you talked the last time you were on the show, or you, you you made the comment about winning a bracelet, but then you also made the comment about this being, you know, maybe not great game selection for you. Uh, why why were you playing this in the first place? Um, because I wanted to, um, well, first of all, I got the bankroll for it, and I kind of view it as with us having our uh, various, um, products that i'm not going to forget to mention this time uh, <laughs> and me having my coaching business i kind of view this as like marketing yeah. because if you look at my hand mob there's nothing on my hand mob since 2019 because i don't play live anymore and these bracelet events are like opportunities to like play online stuff and get it on hand mob and i think that's kind of like helpful when you're, you know, trying to um, market yourself as a coach to have, like, you know, good hand and mob scores. Yeah, so the, I, the Poker News article about your win was just like, you know, Welch only has 50K in live catches. <laughs> and I was like, you know he plays online. Why can't you just say that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and even if, you know, it's online, most of my players on Ignition, which isn't even tracked by Sharkscope. So yeah, but I feel like they could, they could just say, like, Although most of his players online are like, they wouldn't have to like make any claim about how you were doing, but they could at least put out there like, by the way, he does play online. Andrew, I had to win the damn tournament for them to even <laughs> mention my name. <laughs> so I, de I definitely wouldn't expect them to do any favors at that point. But I think I made a couple of friends along the way. So hopefully in the future, um, I'll get a little bit more update love. And now they have to mention me as bracelet winner, Carlos Welch. The, the real gold bracelet was the friend you made along the way. Yes, exactly. Shout out to um, Jeff Platt and Jesse Fullen, who um, stream the um, event, um, Platt down to the final table, and then put uh, Fullen um, at the final table for Poker News. And they were both, like, super, super gracious in chat. Like, Jeff allowed me to... Um, Plug the podcast, Thinking Poker Daily. Uh, right. Wasn't was not expecting that at all, 
And uh, yeah, got a chance to like, you know, chat with those guys. So, you know, hopefully I'll make another deep run and, you know, it'll be like um, family this time. I will say that that was my one disappointment was, uh, you know, that th- it would have been awesome to sweat you in this. I, I was well asleep by the time <laughs> you were at the final table. But, you know, for all the times that you sweated me during the WSFA, I would have loved to have the opportunity to, uh, you know, to, to watch in real time as you shipped it. Yeah, I remember how much fun you had when I shipped the uh, Bavada Main in 2015. Yeah. So, yeah. But but I was talking to um, OMC about this. And um, he was um, he was saying the same thing that he wished he could have saw it. But what I told him is that very few of my friends actually saw it live because the people on the East Coast were asleep <laughs> and the people on the West Coast were probably playing live themselves. So at least in the beginning of the deep run, um, this is pretty funny. So the way the way Jeff Platt does it is he'll have like various feature tables. And the only reason I even made it on the feature table is because when we when we were down to a couple of tables, um, I got moved to Ryan's table, uh, Ryan LaPlante. Um, so the only reason I'm at this feature table is because my coach is seated, seated immediately to my right. Um, he came in with a short stack, though, so he ended up um, busting in a standard spot. And... Um, he was uh, Jeff Platt was trying to like you know look for other people's um, like who could replace him as the featured players at this table, and I made a comment, "Who do I have to bust to become a featured player?" <laughs> <laughs> and then he named some guy who was a pretty good player. I think I, I think I've heard this guy, uh, Stan Lee. So shout out to Stan Lee. Um, he also had a short stack. I didn't bust him, but somebody else busted him. And then when all the people that Jeff knew were busted, he kind of reluctantly, you know, put my name on because <laughs> I asked, I guess I asked nicely. And he's like, well, I guess we'll put this Carlos Rush guy on. And then this was kind of like early on. So like I said, uh, the East, my East Coast people were asleep. My West Coast people were playing. But then as the night went on and I'm still hanging in there, you know, people that know me started coming in the chat and everybody was rooting for me. And, and Jeff kind of had his look on his face, like, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> so by, by, you know, the time we were down to two or three tables, uh, I think he was um, happy with his decision to allow me to allow me to be a, um, a featured player. Yeah. You showed him who the fuck you are. <laughs> he does now <laughs> have you talked to your mom yet yes this lady right here man <laughs> I, I i didn't talk to her i sent her a text and, and and i have to try like new tactics with her so you guys might be familiar you might uh recall that i talked about telling her when i won um wait a minute I'm trying to think. I remember telling her, okay, when I won the uh, Bovada Major for 27K, um, I'm actually on film when I told her that. And she was like, wow. You know, she was like, it was kind of subdued, you know. Like, at the time <laughs> yeah. when I said it, <laughs> when, when I told her that, I'm, look, I'm looking at her like, lady, you make 27K a year, and all I get <laughs> is a wow. <while." laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, since then, um, like other things have happened that were kind of like, at least for me, milestones in uh, my poker career. Like, you know, I sent her a link of me playing on a, you know, in person on a live stream somewhere. And um, she's like, oh, that's nice. And then I told her um, um, where my bankroll, where my bankroll was, which is um, pretty high, more than 27,000. So if that didn't surprise, I was trying to find some number that just makes her like, you know, really say something and like, oh, that's nice, dear. And I'm like, okay, lady. <laughs> so I couldn't I couldn't come up with anything but so but this time what I decided to do was um s- instead of telling her how much I won and like you know I want a bracelet she would be like what's a bracelet um I sent her some um articles um that were like they do this pretty fast like like three or four websites like instantly wrote articles about it so then when she see my picture in the article and them actually typing about it um she's a little bit more um excited again this is over text and she says oh wow congratulations you did good thumbs up (laughs) had to take a second look to make sure um, i was seeing it right (laughs) so yeah that's about as excited as she gets so that's where i get it from so if you guys ever see me playing live and you and you wonder why, like, you know, I'm not like super excitable, um, it's genetic. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of your tweet about the guy who won the 100K mystery bounty. Like one of the people just won $100,000 and one of them is at work. <laughs> I, I, I had this thought. I had this thought. When I saw that picture, I, I tweeted it before I won. But when I was going through all the messages on Twitter, I saw it pop back up and the thought occurred to me that now I'm the guy who just won 100k and I was you know pretty excited here in this room but if I'd won a bracelet live I would have had the same look on my face as that guy did uh, maybe not a bracelet but like let's say if I'd gotten like second in a tournament for 100,000 it's like like the money isn't gonna like make me you know, go crazy like it did back when I was like dead broke when I won the twenty seven thousand. Winning that twenty seven thousand was like is like five times less than this one almost, and it felt like five times more. Yeah, I uh, I, I just, just, can understand just that just just relative to where I was at my in my life at the time to now, like you know I always joke about at this point. The money's just going to get thrown on the pile. Um, so at, at once, I'm the type of person that once I have enough to be comfortable, anything above that is just like, you know, icing on the cake. Yeah. Yeah, I said, I mean, the the first, I think the first tournament I won was for maybe like $100. But the one of the first, like the first win that really felt big to me was for about $4,000. And uh that's right up there with the most exciting poker experience I've ever had. You know what? Now that you've mentioned it, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I hit one for 3000 back when I was a sit-and-go player who just, like, free-rolled his way into a uh, tournament and not even knowing at all how to play tournaments. I luck-boxed my way to, I believe, like, fifth in that one for, like, 3 k that was way more exciting than tonight was. <laughs> way more. 
man, when I think of that to how broke I was, <laughs> and the, like like at the time I was playing eleven dollars sit and goes where you win something and first is like sixty bucks. So to go from that to winning something where something's where first is three k, and then a couple of years later winning something where first was twenty seven k, like those were like way more life changing. Like this won't be life changing at all. Just gonna throw it on the pile. (laughs) Potatoes. Are you gonna play the main event? No. Once again, I mean, this this reminds me of our first conversation with the like, you know, you're you're winning all the uh, the single table satellites and you're not playing any bracelet events. I feel like the the number of people who would win a bracelet in like an early event for 125,000 and then not play the main event, um, I don't know, like maybe five percent of the poker world. Like you're you're in a distinct minority here. Not only am I not going to play the main event, I'm not playing any of the events leading up to it except for. Hopefully, the tag team event, um, you and I can do that, but that, um, what is it, um, I forget what, it, the reunion is like the first thing they got, and they probably got some other kind of like gimmicky thing that's everybody that everybody's excited about, but my excitement for a tournament goes down, it's like inversely proportional to the size of the field. Where for other people, that seems to be the opposite. Anything that's going to get like 10,000 runners, everybody's super excited about it. I'm like, I don't even want to be in the building when this tournament (laughs) is happening. (laughs) Well, I'm sure people are curious, what have you been doing to, uh, to, to sharpen your game? So what I've been doing to sharpen my game, so this all started... I want to say around March or April, um, I knew that um, I was going to be playing some WSOP events um, because around that time is when I had the um, bright idea to uh, stay in the Wyndham Hotels to get the diamond card. And so I knew I would be here uh, during this time. And I needed to like, you know, in my mind, I've been playing against very, very, very weak players for years on Ignition. And uh, my my exploitative style that I've developed over the years that's geared to beat those players is very far from GTO. And I was expecting that being on WSOP.com would be much, much tougher. And so I needed to learn some GTO stuff in order to even, you know, be able to um, compete. So um, I reread Play Optimal Poker 2, um, uh, Modern Poker Theory. Uh, that one, I'm like, I, I didn't finish that one yet. Uh, I got sidetracked by another one that I'm going to um, shout out right now. There's this, um, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with um, um, the Finding Equilibrium YouTube page. Um, the the guy that runs that page just put out a new product that's kind of like a, I don't even know how to describe it. I'm just going to say it's like a solver called GTO Check. Like, he's such a good writer, and he's he really made it. He, he simplified um, my, like, overall understanding, my framework of GTO. 
um, in the way that um, Ed Miller did years ago with his pyramid that a lot of you guys might remember. That was like a good introduction to me for what, you know, GTO might look like. And then this guy just kind of like accelerated it with another analogy that he used. He he used the uh, Titanic as an analogy to um, um, explain the GTO framework. So um, hopefully we can do like maybe a um, link to his YouTube video to that to that particular section, because that was like a really eye opening thing for me. And it helped make that that overarching view of it, that, that the way he simplified it helped make all the other pieces I was doing before make more sense. It helped make play out play optimal poker to make more sense. It helped um, me do better when I'm battling against DT um, DTO, um, which is another um, GTO based product that I've um, used recently and also um, range trainer pro. So uh, which is, Range Trainer Pro was like a pre-flop product for a while, but they're in beta on a post-flop part of it, and I was one of the beta te- beta testers. So like seeing all these products and like comparing and contrasting, my understanding, um, like just it just made it. Um, I could absorb material better than I could when I was more reluctant. Like, you know, you've been for years trying to, like, get me off of this, like, fuck GTO bandwagon. But now <laughs> now I've, I've kind of, like, drank the Kool-Aid, so I'm all in now. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> you sounded like uh, Mr. Burns. You probably did it on purpose. <laughs> No, I was just trying to think about what else I wanted to ask you. Uh, so it's, it's it's literally just going on the pile. There's no uh, no no life changes. This is literally not life changing money for you. No, I can't think of one purchase I'm going to make that I wasn't gonna already make. Um, I got some big purchases coming up. Uh, big for me is not like you know a house or anything. Um, but you know, I was going to make those anyway. So one one thing this will do is make it easier, uh, for me over the next two weeks while I'm finishing up this series, um, and the, you know, the ring event series that will be following, um, because I lost so many buy-ins, um, at the start of this bracelet event series that I had to like, you know, move some money around and, um, so that I didn't have to sell Bitcoin. Cause uh, I, re- that's like a last resort, especially where the price is now. So, um, um, so we do. Uh, Andrew and I and Nate have a couple of um, joint um, projects that we work on. So the three of us with um, Thinking Poker Daily, which is our um, our um, Patreon um, podcast that we host. Uh, I get a cut of the uh, the um, profits from that um, that's paid to me by check. Um, Andrew and I have uh, a product called Exploiting Small Stakes Tournaments, which is a video you can pick up for 50 bucks and um, at nickcast.com. Are, are you sure it's still $50? The price hasn't gone up? 
Definitely not. <laughs> uh, and the coaching price is not going to go up either. I, I see people saying that on Twitter. It, it, they got to remember, it took me four years to raise my coaching my coaching price from uh, $50 um, in the beginning. But um, I'm not going to just – so I did that. When was that? Like at the beginning of this year? I'm not going to just immediately <laughs> raise my <laughs> price after, you know, seven months just because I want a bracelet. But um, – the uh, the product that you and I have and the um, the podcast um, sends me checks to my PO box, which is in Atlanta, and I'm losing all these buy-ins and these bracelets. Th- th- this is what you meant when you said it was a last resort <laughs> to change the mailing address on those checks. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at my bank account. You know, it's gone from like 10k to 5k. And I'm thinking like, okay, I'm looking at the the buy-ins I got left coming up. And I was like, okay, if I brick everything for like another week, I'm going to have to uh, sell some Bitcoin to, you know, replenish my bank account and my bankroll online. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not selling my Bitcoin because I have like, you know, tons of checks <laughs> that are just like thrown on the pile that uh you've been sending to um atlanta two plus two magazine who i write for have been sending to atlanta and so my mom just have has all these checks piled up so i'm like texting her like funds are getting low mail me the checks <laughs> and then i'm thinking like okay uh, why am I having Andrew send the check to Atlanta and then have my mom mail it from Atlanta to Vegas when I can just get Andrew to mail it to Vegas? So I told you to like change my address so that you know by this time next week, if I continue to break everything, I'll have some money to keep playing with without having to sell Bitcoin. That was going to be like a last result resort. And I think doing that, I would have had enough funds to make it through the end of the bracelet series without having to sell Bitcoin and kind of keeping my fingers crossed that Bitcoin kind of goes back up by then. So if I have to sell, at least it won't be, you know, while the market's low. But um, yeah, now I don't have to do that. So that's how my life has changed. I can like tell you to like forget about changing (laughs) my address for sending the checks and I can tell my mom to forget about, you know, mailing me the checks you can just let them keep piling up until um i come get them for christmas like i usually do or thanksgiving sick really i mean it's um i i think that that has has always been your like superpower was being uh content with just like not having uh a lot of wants uh, you know, to, to to be able to say like, oh, I just want to be able to do, you know, what was it, uh, friendless, jobless, and alone, or home, no, not friendless, homeless, <laughs> homeless jobless, and alone. <laughs> homeless, jobless, and alone. Yes, uh, those are my I, life goals. I, I think that's that's truly admirable to be able to say, you know, uh, there, there there's nothing that I didn't already have in my life that, you know, uh, not that there aren't things you want, but that, you know, it wasn't a matter of just like not having the money for them. I think that's a, a really admirable position to be in. Yeah. Yeah, there's some things that I would like that I could afford now, but I don't like them enough to like spend money on them. <laughs> so to me, like, like there's nothing that I could buy that 
is better than freedom. And having this money to me represents freedom. So, like, I don't even, I don't even care about this anymore, but I can remember. <laughs> it's, it sounds so stupid now when I think about it. But when I was in high school, for whatever reason, probably because of some rapper or something, a black Lexus was, like, the thing I have. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to get me a black Lexus when I grow up. And I could probably buy a black Lexus now, uh, but I don't want one anymore. I do kind of want a Tesla just because I'm lazy and I want, I want the thing to drive for me, uh, especially <laughs> when I'm making these trips to Atlanta for the uh, Thanksgiving. But um, I don't want a Tesla more than I want freedom. So uh, I'm not giving away my freedom for a Tesla or anything else. So I'm going to hold on to this money for as long as I can. It's so amusing to me that you want Tesla and Bitcoin. Like, it, I, I have one foot, well, more than one foot. I have 1.9 feet in software and 0.1 feet in poker these days. Uh, and, and, like, here's the intersection. It's like, and everybody <laughs> wants Bitcoins and Tesla. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is not Tesla per se. Is any car that can drive for me while I re, you know, play Ultimate Poker 2? Uh, that's what I want. The name, the name doesn't have to be Tesla. Just the idea of like you know, not having to be one hundred percent focused when I'm driving across the country like that. That's what I want. And hopefully by the time it's cheap enough, where I'm willing to pay for it, uh, it's probably it's probably going to be like a Honda's probably going to have a version of it or, or uh, Ford or something. Yeah, I was driving my Honda Civic the other day. And a plastic bag flew in front of the car's path. And the car decided it was something it shouldn't hit, and it braked. It was real weird. Like, the car just just, just hit the brakes, just just dead stop. I had nothing. I, I had no input there. Um, so I think I've seen that on commercials. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, you, you can get it for, you know, the... <laughs> The not at all souped up uh, Honda Civic. You can you can also get that. <laughs> that's what you get. So that's probably what I'll do. That my my next big purchase will be some other, uh, maybe just like a, a maybe. So right now I have a used Prius that I paid six k for. I'll probably upgrade to like a used ten k Prius in like four years, something like that. Are you staying in the Rio through the weekend? Um, I'm staying in the Rio through the next two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm going to... Normally what I do on the weekends when I'm not playing is uh, I sleep in my car um, here in Vegas. But when I am playing, I'm paranoid about you know, using my Wi-Fi for my cell phone mm -hmm. because the geolocation kind of gets weird with that. So I want a place in Nevada, um, a room in Nevada where I can use their Wi-Fi. And I've been going, this is pretty funny. I don't think we haven't talked about this. I've been going an hour and a half north of Vegas on the weekends where I found a a little super small little motel called Alamo Inn. No, that's not the name of it. The name of the city is Alamo. I forget the name of the hotel, but um, that's like 60 bucks a night on the weekend. And, they, you know, they have decent internet and I don't have to worry about the geolocation. 
but it's like 35 miles from um, Area 51, so I don't want to drink water out of the tap. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this water probably radiated. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, so I've been doing that. Um, but this weekend, I actually got a deal on uh, a room for $40 in Pahrump, which is an hour west of Vegas. So that's what I'll be doing this weekend. I'm only going to do that because I plan to play today. Um, but now I think I'm just going to take today off. And if I could cancel that reservation, I'll probably just sleep in my car in Vegas. But it's too late to cancel the reservation. So I'll go over there and I'm saying I'm not going to play. But if I like get enough sleep between now and the time well i can't sleep because i won't have a room so yeah by the time i check into that room today at three um i will have been up probably close to 36 hours and the tournament starts at three and it's six max which i don't like <laughs> so <laughs> i'm probably gonna skip it and um just you know take a a, a, a vacation day now, this is a familiar story. Man wins poker tournament and goes to Pahrump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. You, you are not it. the first person that wanted to do that. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I think they go there and go to sleep, but uh, with somebody else as opposed to alone, like I'm going <laughs> to What are any any interesting hands or anything to talk about from the tournament itself? Um, I knew you were gonna ask that. <laughs> and <laughs> I was gonna prepare, but um, I didn't. <laughs> so the um, definitely some interesting hands. Um, my brain is so fried that the only hand that's memorable is what I took Negreanu out, and that <laughs> hand had zero pre-flop decisions. <laughs> um, but luckily, I have the um, replayer in front of me, and I can um, go through those while we um, stall and talk about other things. All right, well, uh, let me ask you this then. How was is, how is the final table? You came in second in chips? I don't even remember what I came in. I think I was pretty <laughs> short. I think I, I must have come in pretty short, or at least I was short leading up to the final table because I was um, not sure. Like, I've never experienced this amount of ICM pressure in my life. So I wasn't sure how to handle that. And I kind of came into it with, like, this is something that I've said for years. Um that my poker career, and I think this is probably smart for a lot of people, just to like understand that you're not an EV robot. You're human. You're flawed. So just embrace your flaws and um, have poker accomplishments and milestones. Like, for example, the first time I played the main event, I probably played too nitty in that thing because I wanted to cash. 
And then once I cash, the next time I played it, it's like, oh, I've been there, done that. So then I can kind of like throw caution to the wind and just play, you know, take thinner spots that I'm supposed to take as opposed to knitting it up just to get into the money. And I kind of took the same approach here. Like, you know, the first W, I think, no, it wasn't the first event. um, The first time I played the main event, I cashed it. So like this, these online WSOP events, cashing these didn't mean anything to me because I've been there, done that, even in, you know, more prestigious tournaments. But I've never final tabled a WSOP event. So going into the final table of this one, um, I didn't really understand how ICM should be, how tight I should be because of ICM in spots. But I kind of purposely, you know, played more cautiously than even I'm probably supposed to just because I'm thinking like, playing this way, I'm probably not going to win, but at least I'll get my first, you know, WSOP final table out of the way. I'll win it next time. Next time I play, I'll, I'll play for the win. For now, let me just get the let me just get the final table out of the way, and then use that nittiness or, or the 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 um, pain of playing so nitty to uh, as motivation to learn more precisely about how the how the ICM pressure should affect my decisions, and that'll make me a better player and give me a better chance of playing correctly and winning the next time. So. Uh, I say all that to say that I think I was just kind of like folding down on the way to the final table. So I think I probably came in short unless I won like, you know, a flip or something right before the final table started. But it's not like I was just running over, you know, the last, you know, 18 players the way I would do on like an ignition tournament. Even that is so <laughs> refreshing to hear that, like, not only are you not bragging about how you, like, ran over the bubble or whatever, but, like, don't even remember where you were when you came into the final table. It's like, I don't know, maybe I was short, maybe I had chip. Just, like, not remembering that level of uh, your, your ability to kind of, like, put that stuff behind you, I think, is very, uh, and I, I mean, I, I think in many cases it's more like it's negative things you're putting behind you where you're, like, you're not sweating over you know, bad beats or, or mistakes or whatever that you made, uh, you know, an, an hour or two ago. But I think it does, coming along with that is also, like, not getting too invested in, um, in like, the, the good things that happened to you either. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> I'll tell you, this happened... <laughs> It's so funny that, you know, history repeats itself. This exact same thing happened when I won the Bovada Major. So the Bovada Major, I want to say before I won it, my biggest score was like maybe 5K or something like that, somewhere in that ballpark. And so when I made the final table of that tournament, which I definitely didn't expect to do, my goal was to beat my high score. And so I kind of like looked at the payouts. It's like, okay, if I can make it to sixth place or whatever it was, it's going to be a win in my mind. So I basically played tight until I got to that point. And after that, everything was kind of like icing on the cake. And, you know, other people kept busting. And I'm like, whoa, I'm just making more money here. And it's like, I'm not really doing anything. <laughs> and uh, I ended up laddering. And I can remember, so, like, once I got past my biggest score, the next thing I wanted was, like, my first five-figure score. So then I got, like, 
I, I remember distinctly that fourth place was like 10K in that tournament. So once I locked that up, it was like, okay, at this point, whatever happens, happens. I'm probably not going to win this thing anyway, but who cares? I already got my five-figure score. So I, I I met my next couple of milestones. I wasn't even thinking about winning the tournament, and lo and behold, I won it. And this was the same way. Like a lot of people I've been talking to for the past couple of hours have been asking me about, oh, did you feel pressure? Would you Were you nervous and all this? I was like, no. Um, I want to say in this tournament, fourth was like 27K. So it tied my all-time biggest score. So I wanted to get past that. Once I got past that, everything else was icing on the cake. I wasn't even thinking about winning a bracelet. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to ladder as far as I can. And then once we got down to like three-handed, that's when I kind of like threw caution to the wind and it kind of helped that there was already a bracelet winner at the table. Uh, shout out to um, June Kim, who's a uh, much better player than me. And so I'm thinking he's probably going to win anyway. And like, who cares if I end up, you know, taking a bad spot against him? That's what I'm, I'm supposed to take, you know, marginal spots against better players. Um, you know, if I can take a break even spot against a better player than me, that, you know, that's a win uh, in my mind. So I kind of played it a little bit more recklessly at that point. So here, here's a hand that kind of like illustrates that. So with three-handed, I am second in chips with, what is this, 20, a little bit over 20 bigs, like 23 or 25, so it's less than 25, like 23 bigs. And um, chip leader, uh, I'll just, um, chip, leaders ha- chip leader has just over 30 bigs. He's on the button. I'm in the small blind with like 23 bigs. And the best player at the table, June Kim, um, is in the big blind with like 17, 18 bigs. And the chip leader just jams from the button. So 23 bigs effective. And I have pocket sevens in the small blind. Like this is a spot where I'm unsure if I'm allowed to call with this hand due to the ICM pressure in this spot. But I said fuck it and called. Because I really (laughs) didn't care if I lost third. Like uh, I think I'm probably like, you know, maybe tied with this other guy. Uh, in, in terms of skill level, maybe he's a little bit better than me. Um, but so I've kind of like gotten as far as I could like manufacture with my knittiness. And at this point, if I did want to win a bracelet, I do need to take some thinner spots. So I ended up calling here and winning a flip against some um, king queen suited. And so that's the type of spot where I'm unsure if that's a good call or not. And it's not and it's not a spot I would have taken if say second would have been my all time high score. The fact that I've already had that milestone accomplished accomplished just by making it third, making it two third, I was willing to throw caution to the win in this spot. Do you see yourself checking this with like an ICMizer later or or do you not care about the answer? I'm going to check it. I do care about the answer because I want to get better next time. Mm-hmm. But if I check it here and I see if I'm, and, and I see that I'm wrong, I'm not going to care. 
Um, because to me, I feel like if it's a mistake, it's probably a fairly small mistake. And like, it's hard to say, it's hard to say it's a punt, a like a massive punt, getting it in with, you know, pocket sevens when you have 23 bigs, you know, three handed. Um, the only thing that makes it, you know, um, kind of punty is the ICM, especially in a, in a bracelet event. Uh, those kind of mistakes don't bother me because I knew, in fact, in fact, Jesse from uh, Poker News was streaming, streaming this. And when I called there, he kind of mentioned something about how that was probably a little bit loose. And I typed in chat, hey, I'm new here. <laughs> like maybe maybe it's wrong i don't know this is my first time like i'm you know i've been battling the uh the uh, guys on ignition for the past uh you know several years so for me to even get this far yeah i'm gonna make some mistakes um the mistake i made years ago in on day two of the cherokee main where i like check check shove like Queen Deuce offsuit, small blind versus button, because I assume he was opening a lot, because I know he's supposed to be opening a lot on the bubble in that spot. That mistake haunted me <laughs> for like three months. And that one, that was, that wasn't like a, um, that was a massive punt. To me, it's hard to go wrong with these stack sizes with, you know, a hand like sevens. Um, so yeah, this won't bother me, but I will. It is something I will study and learn from, but I'm not going to be like upset with myself if um, had I, had I call here and lost, and then I study it later and find out it was a mistake. I would not be upset with myself. I would just learn and get better. That reminds me of my uh, another thing I wanted to ask you, which was uh, what what was the chat like? Were you chatting um, with the other players at the final table? Were you chatting with people in the? Uh, I mean, it sounds like you were in the the poker news stream. Yeah, I was even, <laughs> this is so bad, man. Uh, I was not super focused at this final table because, like I said, for a while, I was in ladder mode. So because I'm in ladder mode, I'm not really paying a lot of atten attention to what's going on at the table. A lot of it was kind of just shoving full stuff anyway. It wasn't like, you know, a lot of hands were being played post-flop and I needed to, like, see showdowns um, or whatever. So I, I'm kind of like, you know, half paying attention to the table. And I'm kind of looking at this as, oh, there's like five, 600 viewers in this stream. And and I've kind of gotten Jeff Platt on my side. So he's like, you know, pumping me up and he's saying, um, um, oh, you got anything you want to plug? I was like, you know what? Uh, this guy's, these, these guys are probably better than me. One of them definitely is. I'm probably not going to do much better than what I've already done. Let me, you know, generate <laughs> some uh, potential marketing uh, uh, goodwill in this poker news chat and the uh, Jeff Platt's um, chat. Uh, so I was heavily uh, typing in chat, which is like so bad <laughs> when you're at a final table with a hundred K up top and a bracelet. But you know, I'd already like you know made it to. The buy-in, the the um, payout that I kind of like was hoping for, and everything else was icing on the cake. Like, um, yeah, everything else was icing on the cake. So I was doing a lot of typing in chat, 
and um, um, just like you know enjoying it. And, and see, here's the other thing: like, um, I can't tell which one of you it is. I'm gonna guess Nate, but one I feel the vibes from one of you. But I, I can feel the heat through the microphone and how bad it is for me to not be paying attention. <laughs> I think it's probably Nate. <laughs> um, pretty, pretty bad. Pretty yeah, bad. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know. I know it's bad. Uh, but it kind of goes back to the thing that I always talk about, um, happiness, EV. Like, I'm kind of giving up, you know, a decent amount of um, financial EV by not paying attention over here but you know i don't get too many opportunities to have like tons of people rooting for me and people who've been rooting for me for years in chat telling all these new people why they should root for me oh i was i some, one guy came in chat he said um I've been following this guy ever since he was living in that storage, that 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 um that office space he was written. <laughs> <laughs> and other people chat like, "What? This guy lived in office space? Yeah." And it was a giraffe on his twin street, and like, and everybody <laughs> like, "What? What?" And like, and all of a sudden, Jeff started getting into it, and uh, Jesse Fullen also. So I was like, like that was making me happy, and maybe making me some future fans and maybe some future product customers that uh, could be just as um, lucrative as the uh, monetary EV I was giving up on the other side. And even if it isn't, the happiness EV was through the roof. Yeah. I mean, it just says so much that you can make those decisions consciously. I mean, another fairly obvious thing to say is that focusing super, super hard and trying to play paper, scissors, rock against yourself or against players who might be better than you. Like I imagine your B game is pretty good and probably the stacks weren't all that deep. And, you know, if, if you're not so sure that you have any skill edge, like putting it on on autopilot and just like doing your thing and chatting. um, I don't know. I've definitely seen a lot of people, trying like who's trying their best game in a tournament especially deep like in a world series tournament made them like much much worse than their b game like when they like you know like if they were to go sit down at a one two cash game afterward and just sort of start doing their thing and you know talking to friends on the rail that would have been a lot better and so like taking the sort of uh reserve value or, or, or taking the uh, sort of the sure thing, the 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 skill sure thing of your B game was, you know, especially given that you also had the happiness EV, it makes a lot of sense. And being able to be honest about it with yourself is priceless. I know for a fact I got us at least one new subscriber on, on Thinking Poker Daily because he told me on Twitter and I confirmed it <laughs> uh, when I looked at the website. So, you know. We got some money for it our way. That happened to see me. You, you want to hear about another head I fucked up? Yeah. <laughs> so oh this God. one, this one is um, heads up. At this point, I'm a little bit more than a two to one chip leader, and uh, my opponent, who is June Kim, bracelet winner, much better player than me, has uh, he's on the button with twenty big blinds. He limps. 
and I have Sorry, eight. Is, is there any reason to believe? Does, does Jun Kim know who you are? Or know anything about you? Was was he participating in the chat at all? You know what? He was participating in chat, um, and. I don't think like, are you the Carlos Welch? (laughs) No, 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 no. There were a few people saying that who were like insiders. Um, So I I always like that inside joke. Uh, But he wasn't one of the people saying that, but he was kind of having fun uh, with us when. So I can't remember who it was. It was either Jesse or Jeff, maybe both of them. You know what? It had to be Jesse because at this point there was just like a few players left. So it's like, I don't know who I'm going to root for because June is in chat, Carlos is in chat. And, you know, I don't want to like, you know, pick sides here of of guys who are in chat. So I'm just going to root for the third guy who wasn't in chat. (laughs) And I was like, um, yeah, you should probably, I said, if you're a betting man, you should probably bet on June uh, in this spot. But, you know, my karma is pretty good. So I was like, you know, you got to weigh that between you know, hard and cold facts uh, versus, uh, you know, the universe. (laughs) Uh, And June was in chat. And, like, I can't remember exactly what he was saying, but I feel like he was saying things, probably half joking but half serious, that, yeah, he was better than me. And it kind of showed in the play. Um, He kind of knew how nitty I was playing, and he took advantage of it. But I didn't mind that. Um, I was folding my way to, I was planning on folding my way to third anyway. Um, (laughs) But this is one of the hands where I think I probably made a mistake. So he limps in on the button off of 20 bigs. I haven't covered more than two to one, like two and a half to one or something. I have eight, four offsuit and I just check it. Flop comes Queen six four with um, two clubs, and I have um, the four clubs. So I flop bottom pair with a small backdoor flush draw. Um, I just lead here for one big blind into like the two point five or two point two, whatever it is, big blind pot. It's like two. Uh, it's more like two two big blinds roughly. So that seems maybe fine to me. What do you think? Um, my knowledge of heads up limped pots is not great. I mean, I he definitely has the stronger range than you do uh, preflop, right? Yeah. If he, he's the one v-pipping. So I think you should be doing a lot of checking. Um, I mean, it's probably a mix. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it I mean, actually probably is a mix. <laughs> uh, heads up is by far the worst part of my game. So... Uh, I've learned a lot from Ryan over the years and, uh, and shout out to Ryan LaPlante. Like a lot of what he taught me about heads up, I use in this game in a way that I would have been afraid to, um, before. Um, so yeah, I definitely play better heads up than I would have in the past, but I think this particular hand, I made some pretty, I think I made it, you know, at least one fundamental mistake. But this lead, I guess, is kind of like, you know, we're not sure about. It's a mix. So I lead. He calls. And the turn is an eight. So now I have two pair. Board is queen, six, four, eight. The queen and the six are clubs. The four and the eight are spades. And on the turn, 
I lead again. This time I lead something like 75% of the pot or something. That seems kind of fine to me. I, what, what, uh, what are you looking to accomplish with the bet? Um, I'm hoping he jams on me like he's been doing the rest of the fucking tournament. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I'm trying to accomplish um, getting hopefully jammed on by Queen or bluff caught by a six or four or like something like eight, seven or just ace high given the number of draws that are out there. Yeah, I think you know, for a queen, you might be better off check raising. Right? He's probably going to bet that if checked too. So I don't know that if if, if a queen is like the, the main value target, I don't know that betting is necessarily the best play against that. But I think some of those other hands you mentioned are, are a lot more likely to call than they are to bet themselves. Yeah, so that's what I was going for. I have no idea if it's right or wrong. We're like 11 hours in at this point, and I'm already <laughs> out of my league. I'm just clicking buttons. <laughs> So that was, you know, on the fence, but could be one fine or not. The river is why I made the big mistake, in my opinion. The river was a jack of diamonds, and I checked. I don't know why I would check here. I think I checked because up until this point, he's been, like, super aggressive, and I wanted to give him an opportunity to keep doing his thing, but he's not – um blindly aggressive like i've shown so much strength in this hand that especially given how nitty i've been up until this point he's not just gonna like bluff jam here like i was hoping for and i've so i've shown a decent amount of street strength up to this point and he didn't fold so he probably has something <laughs> that he would um call another bet with so i think i really should have bet this river yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, I I know you've heard me say this a million times, but I, this is just like a super, uh, just like something that comes up all the time in like the hand history reviews and stuff that I do. It's like you're usually better off going for your own value on the river rather than checking and trying to pick off bluffs, right? If you have the choice between either betting to get value from uh, bluff catches or checking to induce bluffs, uh, usually you're, you're better off doing the former. Yeah. So what actually happened in this hand is that he did have some devious intentions. <laughs> so, some intentions that, as I've gotten better um, over the last couple of months with the GTO stuff, I kind of have the same intention, so I kind of understand where he's coming from here. He has ace of clubs, seven of spades. So I think this guy's jamming for sure if there's a, spade, a club on the river because he's got the nut blocker. Mm-hmm. Um. So I kind of gave him an opportunity to bluff at this point, but he didn't get the right car he he needed to bluff on, so he didn't go for it. And that's the mistake I started to make. That's the mistake that I made when I first started to become a more aggressive player is that when I decided <laughs> I was going to bluff, like when I got that in my mind, it was three streets all the way. Right. And I didn't really care what came. <laughs> and I became a more refined player when I started to identify which cars I should bluff on and which which ones I didn't. So shout out to June for not being a maniac and bluffing on this car, even though it's a terrible car for him to be bluffing on. But he did have, you know, he had the draws beat with his ace high. 
And if I bet that river on a club, he's probably jamming over me. Yeah, so, I think that's probably right. Yeah. So, you know, I'm learning. And maybe I would have <laughs> played this hand more. Uh, I would have played this hand better if it wasn't, you know, 11 hours into a session. And I will say this. Once we got down to, like, three or and two-handed, I, obviously I didn't have time to pay attention to the chat anymore. I was like, you know, it was fast and furious at that point. So I was focused in. I just um, wasn't playing my A game because um probably tired and outmatched. And then also my um, – even my A game um, is it, you know, super good and heads up limp pot. So, yeah, I, I unfortunately am a working stiff and I'm uh, late for my 12 p.m. So I should let you go and say congratulations and like good heavens, Carlos from eight years ago or whatever who we interviewed <laughs> is now a bracelet winner and that's awesome. Yeah, thank really, you so really, much, Nate. Really man. couldn't be happier about it. It's it's awesome. You deserve it. You know, all, all the, you know, you really, I mean, whatever. Deserve a bracelet. You deserve your success in poker. You've worked hard, and uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's awesome. Um, all the stuff I said last time. <laughs> it's sort of funny we did that like <laughs> Carlos retrospective like two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, where are they now? It's like, well, pretty much, you know, what he did two weeks ago, then he won a bracelet. So, all right. Uh, yeah, it's like, it's like the Golden Knights. It's like, this is, uh, anyway. Um, good. Hey, take care. Congratulations. I'll see you later. Thank you, Nate. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you go to sleep, Carlos, unless there's, or get back to sweating Twitter, maybe, <laughs> unless there's, uh, Anything else that you wanted to to talk about or, or plug or whatever else? Um, yeah, I got um, uh, what is it called? <laughs> <laughs> How to obliterate passive tournaments? Unlike the ones I just obliterated, <laughs> uh, that's not going to help you with these type of tournaments at all. But if you're playing more passive tournaments, say like on Ignition, for example, um, I got. Um, um, how to obliterate passive tournaments with um, Alex Fitzgerald. Um, we'll give you a link in the show notes for that. Um, we talked about Thinking Poker Daily, which is the daily podcast that me, Andrew, and Nate have together. Um, and then also, Andrew and I have the Exploding Small Stakes Tournaments um, video um, where I coach Andrew on how to beat soft passive games like the ones at Ignition. So the one with Andrew is a hand history review and the one with Alex is more of a classroom style. So those are the plugs. Um, I do want to uh, give a shout out to like, you know, everybody that's followed me for all these years and everybody that supported me tpe that's where it all started man uh learn pro poker is where i do most of my um current study like i said shout out to ryan laplante you of course um uh, you and i just did a um, custom video um of a hand history that i did in a deep run not, not deep run i think i just cashed the damn thing um it probably main cashed it. Uh, the uh, main event of the circuit 
um, online circuit that just wrapped up in June. Um, some of the things that you um, taught me in that video definitely um, came into play in this tournament. One of which didn't happen at the final table. Like I said, I was purposely playing a little bit um, tight. But earlier in the tournament, um, when you talked about, you know, just just because this is an ignition doesn't mean you can't, you know, exploit, you know, the weaker players. Uh, even if you look them up and they're like winning players, like, you know, a lot of like is more about how they're playing at the table. And also, like, don't be too don't over adjust to the big names. So, like I said, um, I'm, I'm glad to hear this because it was tilting my face off hearing you keep being like, June Kim so much better than I am. I was outmatched. I was outclassed. I was like, you're Carlos goddamn Welch. See, yeah, yeah. You know what? Uh, OMC says the same thing, but. First of all, there's a bit of, bit of um, humility. Uh, so part of it is like purposely being like overly humble. Yeah. And second is I don't care what you and OMC say. I'm not better <laughs> than Daniel Negreanu. <laughs> so when players of that caliber who are like big names that everybody knows, and then there's so many other players on this site who aren't big household names, but they're probably like known people on like the bracelet event circuit like like this june king kim guy like yeah he won a bracelet like hell any idiot can get lucky and win a bracelet <laughs> one did tonight uh but but you know the guy has like serious caches and other tournaments that i wouldn't even dare enter so there's a lot of players who i can compete and when i'm playing my a game but it's not like i'm i'm not expecting i think it would be a mistake to think that, you know, just because I'm Carlos fucking Welch, I can, like, you know, run over Negreanu like I run over, like, you know, Ignition Rex. So I try no, to, like... It's not about running over, but, like... Okay, I mean, so Negreanu's A-game greater than Carlos Welch's A-game. I'll, I'll give you that. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I think Negreanu is not playing his A-game in all these turns. Like, you've, you've seen the video of him fucking kicking the air and yelling at his dog while he's <laughs> yeah. on. Like, that's pathetic. I mean, that's not uh, that that's not a, a, a poker player playing well. That's not, that's not what good poker looks like. No one is playing their best when they're behaving like that. And, um, you know, you... I, I, I couldn't even begin to imagine you having a reaction <laughs> like that to something. I don't have a dog to kick. kick. <laughs> and I don't uh, tilt physically like that anymore. I used to be pretty bad about it, but not anymore. But there's definitely points in all the tournaments I've played where I definitely was not playing my A game because of tilt. And um, um, it's pretty funny that um, I was playing a tournament with, with Alan Kessler, and he called me out on um, a punt that I made. And you know, put it on Twitter, and I didn't respond because I was like, "He's not wrong." But guess <laughs> what? Um, I didn't sell action to any of these events, so I'm punting my money, <laughs> and, <laughs> and that and that's why, like, I've been having conversations with friends um, about you know my edge in these games and everything, and and this is another thing that we talked about in the chat while playing. Some one of the people who didn't know me asked if I was a pro. I was like, not this month. I'm a wreck in these games. 
So I'm not expecting to have a massive edge on these fields. I'm going to do not even the best I can. <laughs> I'm going to do probably like 80 or 90% of the best I can. And uh, whatever happens, happens. And uh, I can afford to take a shot. And I'm going to do some punting, especially after being down the number of buy-ins. And some of the, some of the ways I've lost, like that, that Negreanu hand where he, with the King 8 hand, like, like that's the type of thing that will make me re-enter and immediately probably play that second bullet too light. And that's <laughs> what, you know, Kessler was pointing out. And I was like, yeah, it was definitely a punt. But um, I got some more of those coming. <laughs> and I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with it at all. All right. Well, clearly this is a mindset that works for you, so I'm not going to try to shake you out of it too hard. But uh, I, I, I continue to think you are one of the most underrated poker players out there, including by yourself. <laughs> Y'all are tripping, man. (laughs) Y'all don't see as many of my my mistakes as I see. (laughs) So I think that's part of it. But I will say that I'm definitely getting better. And I'm much better off the felt when I don't have these um, prestigious tournaments that I really, really, really want to at least cash (laughs) uh, for the Hidden Mob entry. uh, when when that sort of pressure isn't on me, um, I think I'm a much better poker player. And when I haven't been running bad for like the past two, three weeks, which uh, it's like one bracelet in a day. So it's not like a downswing in the traditional sense. But, you know, it feels that way when I can remember in the one tournament, I had like a top 20 stack and I was like tweeting, not tweeting. I was sending a DM to OMC about it. And then, like, 20 minutes later, I was out. <laughs> and it, 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 I ran into aces and kings twice. And I think those two hands were pretty standard. And it was like, damn, I just went from top 20 to not even cashing. And it was like every day was something else like that. And that caused me to, like, you know, start playing my B game and C game and, and start making more mistakes. So mm. um, these are not plays I would make. Um, off the felt. So I, I agree when I'm when you say I'm a better player than I think I am, I agree with that when I'm not tilted and under pressure and high high prestige tournaments. Well, I will also say uh, there are very, you know, this is fairly standard for me and I think a lot of people this time of year, um, even with you know live WSAP not going on right now to whether I'm in Vegas and bricking things or I'm not in Vegas and, you know, I'm seeing people who are winning tournaments and I'm constantly like, that fucking guy, that fucking guy won a bracelet, you know, like, <laughs> uh, I think you're, you're one of the few people in the poker world where it's, it's really, it's, it's unadulterated happy, you know, there, there's no jealousy, there's no like, that guy doesn't really deserve it, I'm better than that guy, like, you know, it's uh, just, just truly happy for you. 
And uh, likewise, you know, like truly regret. Like there's a lot of people where I, I might have sweated them if they're at the final table of a WSOP event, but it would have been a little like half-hearted and I would have been kind of bored and like not really that invested in it and be like, uh, I guess I should watch this person. It's probably a pretty big deal for them. <laughs> like, but like I truly would have enjoyed it. And like there are maybe maybe 10 people in the world where I would like truly enjoy watching them uh, play. I, I don't watch people play poker. Um, not, not unless yeah. I'm getting paid to do it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, you're, you're one of the few people I, I, I really am. Uh, I, I regret that I missed it, but I'm I'm very happy for you. Well, let me let me give a shout out to um, fellow uh, TPE alumni Pierre, who was also deep in this thing. Um, I forget where he went out, but it was pretty. Might have been like final two or three tables, so that was kind of a nice little TPE sweat going with me and him. And then also Joe Beagles, who made the final table. Um, he is a fellow uh, Learn Pro Poker alumni who um, um, is also a um, Thinking Poker listener, right? I believe so. I don't know if he's listened to every episode, but I think he can't <laughs> listen to this one. Yeah, Stop yeah, <laughs> yeah. Congratulations, so, uh, eighth place, nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, so, so you know, those guys, especially Pierre, because, you know, we've uh, known each other for a while through TPE, and um, Joe and I haven't had a ton of interaction, but I feel like when those guys busted, they were gen- generally, um, genuinely um, rooting for me and happy um, when I won. So I think they kind of share the same um, sentiment that that you did, that you do. Well, congratulations again, and uh, hopefully I'll, I'll see you in a couple of months. Definitely, definitely. All right, take care. Thanks for uh, doing this on short notice. No problem. Bye.